0: This is Weekly Woman by Jubilance for PMS.
1: Hi, Amy. Hey, how are you?
0: Good. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm excited to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so hello, everyone. I'm Alice, the social media manager for Jubilance, and today I'm talking with Amy Ostriker. Amy is an artist, writer, and influential speaker whose work is rooted in inspiration and built to be eclectic. Um, from the visual arts to music to writing to education, she is foremost a storyteller. And I first met Amy when we were working on a show together. She yes. was a right then, but as you can tell, she does so much. <laughs>
1: And it was great working with you. You directed uh, a full-length play I wrote inspired by uh, my grandparents' story, so that's where I know you from. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just it's, like, it's amazing that we can talk today, too, then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go a little bit more into your bio because there's so much there.: sure. uh, So Amy overcame a decade of trauma to become a sought-after PTSD specialist, artist, author and writer for The Huffington Post an international keynote speaker, um, and health advocate. She's given three TEDx talks on transforming trauma through creativity, and her story has appeared on NBC's Today, um, CBS, Cosmopolitan, um, 17 Magazine, The Washington Post, Good Housekeeping, and MSNBC, among others. Amy has toured her autobiographical musical, Gutless and Grateful. To over 200 menu- venues, from 54 Below to Barrington Stage Company, since its 2012 New York City debut, as well as a mental health program for colleges, conferences, and organizations. And you can read her new book out right now, okay. My Beautiful <laughs> Four, which chronicles her life. Um, and Amy, do you mind if I read like what what it's about? The summary of your book.
1: Go ahead. Okay,
0: okay. so. So, my beautiful detour, so it's, Amy had ambitious plans for college and a Broadway career until her stomach exploded the week before her senior prom. Months later, she awoke from a coma to learn that she might not ever be able to eat or drink again. After years on IV nutrition, her first bite of food awakened her senses to life's ordinary miracles, but also brought back memories of being sexually abused by a trusted mentor for months just before the unexpected rush to the emergency room that fateful Passover night. With determination, imagination, relentless resilience, and an inner hunger for life, Amy created a roadmap where none existed. Um, We're so excited to have Amy on to talk with us today about how she's overcome trauma, how her detour moved her on this amazing path of creation that she's on, and being a woman of the world. So thank you for
1: being here. Yay, I'm excited.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I just want to start with some more fun questions. Okay. Um, What's your favorite TV show?
1: Oh, my God, favorite TV show. I mean, is this bad that you're talking about not being able to have food for years, but I still love Chopped, you know. (laughs) I I gotta say, I used to host, like, Chopped parties. What? I'd have like little teams get together and we would each get everyone like a little mystery ingredient basket of like four foods for anyone that doesn't know the show. You know, you open a basket of just four totally random combinations and the team has to put together like an entree, uh, you know, appetizer, dessert based on those in a time limit. And so, I mean, the dishes didn't come out as good as the TV show. Uh, so that's why the TV show is a little more enjoyable to watch than that. Uh, eating what was made by us, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, um, lip gloss or lipstick? Oh my God.
1: Cool, yeah. I'm a container person. Aren't people like that? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it depends on the It depends, right? (laughs) People that are marketing (laughs) lipstick, keep that in mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, What's your favorite random fact? Oh boy.
1: Uh, well, this is more of like a breaking news thing that was just on, on my mind that made me really happy that New Jersey just became the first, uh, state to have like arts education, like in all schools available for everyone. I mean, go New Jersey. I mean, I'm not from New Jersey and I don't really go there, but <laughs> you guys are like on it. So that is a new fact that, a. Uh, is very random and pertinent. So
0: that's so pertinent. awesome. I
1: feel like as like yeah.
0: New Yorkers, we're always knocking on New Jersey. So go I mean, New Jersey.
1: I know. So come on, yeah, go New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> perfect. And so you, so we know you're not from New Jersey, but can you talk about where you're from?
1: Yeah. I'm from Connecticut which is a cool place too um but but yeah I, I grew up in, in Fairfield Connecticut and as I read about it in my book you know I had a very uh suburban you know happy kind of childhood in, in Fairfield and then the day after I was discharged from the hospital we moved into a brand new house in a brand new town uh, still in Connecticut um but that was kind of interesting and then I've always been back and forth uh, to New York uh, my whole life because, uh, you know, I love performing and, and doing the arts thing, so.
0: Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and what's your favorite part about living, like, near New York City? Oh, boy.
1: I couldn't, you know, I've been so many places and I always say, like, this place would be great to move, but I need to be <laughs> close to New York. Um, you know, <laughs> where, you know, that's where all the, you know, exciting things are that, well, I feel like, you know, I could go on the train and do a food tour of the Lower East Side. I could get to run into an audition. I can perform my show. I mean, there's excitement around, you know, every corner. Uh, You can walk around a whole block and see a whole new world. Uh, So I've always needed that. You know, (laughs) I appreciate all the, all, everything going on in the city, and then diversity. I think that's always been important to me since I was little, so,
0: yeah. That's awesome, Amy. Yeah. Yeah, can you talk to me about um, how you got to where you are? So, so we know from like your bio and your, um, and your book, um, so, so you had this experience happen to you. Can you talk about that and then how you got, how you got through that and now you're just like an artist producing, producing, producing?
1: Uh, yeah, well, the, and I'm not just saying this. You know, it is a fact that I'm still the same person, which is crazy. But I guess that's what happens in life. We we stay who we are, and then we just have to use our circumstances to uh, accent who we are. But how I got to where I am, uh, I always loved performing since I was as far back as I could remember. And I was always the girl in school that was like, okay, she's the theater creative kid. Like, I mean, like, you know, getting my first attention in third grade, because when the teacher left the room, you know, I started tap dancing on the on the teacher's desk. And, you know, I was bringing around, like, my – yeah, I, I was so obsessed with Les Mis growing up that that whole, like, huge Underbridge Victor Hugo book, I would bring, you know, in third grade every day and just put it on my desk. And, like, I didn't really read it, but no, I wanted – to third like, grade? Oh, yeah, yeah. I just wanted her to look like, oh, she really knows this show. (laughs) For me, it was how I connected to the world and how I connected with myself. So that was always like I knew what my identity was. I would even look at my friends thinking, wow, you know, they don't really know where their life's going to end up. But like, at least I'm driven, like I'm going right to Broadway. You know, ironically enough, um, you know, I... I started studying seriously with a with a vocal coach in New York that really became my mentor because I also really loved you know philosophy and nature and you learning about like deep things and this person really seemed to understand that too so you had a time where I felt like yeah my teenage friends don't really get me I felt like this person really did and you and that turned into you know being sexually abused for almost a year which really threw me into another universe where now I know all about PTSD but at the time you know all I felt was okay why am I suddenly numb and like I can't access that place that I could always go to when I was like acting songs you know I didn't realize I was really that was how I blocked out my emotions um and then you know so those last few months were really difficult emotionally and then you know to top it all off the April of my senior year just two weeks after I had told my mother you know that's when um my stomach exploded <laughs> that's literally what it was and I was rushed to the emergency room so then you know talk about Waking up in a totally new world, you know, I was never really in a hospital my um, ever, and suddenly I was surrounded by, you know, people who said I was suddenly, you know, looking much better now, whatever that meant, um, and so, yeah, so then thus started uh, many chapters in my book about um, recovering from the hospital and learning that I didn't have a stomach anymore and suddenly I couldn't eat or drink and doctors didn't know if that would ever happen again. So now my life, you know, from being someone who plotted everything in her life, it was total, you know, uncertainty. I had gotten all my college acceptance letters and now people were like, when I'm like, okay, what about college? People were like, all right, who's going to tell her? Um, and so it was years and years of very, uh, uncertain circumstances while um you know i was home not able to eat or drink anything um and i was technically like healthy meaning like i wasn't in a comatose situation anymore but we couldn't find a way or understand how to connect my digestive system again so it took years till we could find a surgeon who could figure out what to do wow Uh, yeah but you to get through that time where I was living in the real world with people who were eating and drinking, and I had no guarantee of anything, I literally got through. Because doctors thought I was okay because, you know, I wasn't dying. So my way of just surviving was through creativity. You know, I got the lead in Oliver. I started a chocolate business because chocolate I love business? You know what? I find that you're obsessed with what you can't have. And because creativity was always kind of my safe connection, this totally happened as a surprise. But one day I was, like, playing with chocolates, which I shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> couldn't eat. And I just found that I loved designing them. And I realized Mm -hmm. that was my first experience that, wow, when I create things, I have control over something. And, you know, it's not controlling my whole circumstance that I would like to control, but it feels good to have some kind of authority over something. I guess that was my instinctive way of kind of discovering the benefits of art therapy, you know, having kind of control over, you know, a very uncontrollable situation. And so, you know, many, many, it turned into 27 surgeries, but it was many of, you know, you're finally surgically reconnected. Oh, your wound exploded. Oh, things are good. Oh, things are bad, which accounts for all the years having food taken away from me. And, you know, the book is all about, you know, the ups and downs, but the important part was, throughout, you know, despite my circumstances, you know, if I couldn't walk, if suddenly my voice was taken away, I found other ways to access that creative energy. And I guess that creative energy was the fuel that, you know, forced me to go in different avenues, discover things I never would have discovered, um, like, like visual art painting, I never would have done that had I not been stuck in a hospital. And that's how I ended up calling this a beautiful detour. You know, I didn't always feel that way, especially when certain things were happening, but at the end of the day, I realized, wow, if this didn't happen, I would have never discovered that, I would have never met this person, I would have never done this, and I would never have known about all these things, and so You know, I I couldn't even tell you what I would be doing if I was still 15 and had a stomach and all that. You know, so I think once I was really able to compare what I thought my life was going to be and what ended up, that's how I was able to call it. Uh, my beautiful detour, and and that's what the book is, you know, about. You know, showing that you know, because now I do all of these like inspiring talks, and you know, and the TEDx talks have been about you know finding the flowers on my detour. But as I was going through things, you know, there was no certainty or no like you know just putting a smile on and telling myself it'll be good in the end. You know, it was really just trusting. Okay, all I have is this moment. What can I do right now? And a lot of the times there's no guarantee, you know, and and you're not always gonna get like a sunny uh, guarantee uh, for a lot of things, but at least for creativity, that put me on, I call them little like safe islands that got me from just point to point Mm -hmm. um, until I had finally, you know, reached the shore. Um, So, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're still, and you got to still create. You went from like wanting to be a Broadway actress to like, to getting there. You're still, you're putting on all of these shows everywhere in the country, really. I was telling Amy before this started that every time I open my Facebook, it's like Amy is here, 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 which is (laughs) amazing. Yeah.
1: Thank you, but you know, again, like, that's how, you know, detours, if we allow them to, they can expand our world. I mean, I never would have gotten into to playwriting or, you know, I really thought as a teenager, okay, if you wanna be an actress, you have to study these monologues and learn these musicals and wait in line 9, to, you know, 9 p.m. for these auditions. Um, you know, I think sometimes we have to be forced into those avenues to discover uh, the joy Uh, that can come from it and you know gutless and grateful was the first one woman musical that i wrote and that was really my first experience of even talking about my story to the public i had never even mentioned the sexual abuse you know, at that time i thought like okay this is something like you don't talk about and i i write about how the first review i got of that show was a great review but then there was one line that was like well she says something about her sexual abuse like linking to her stomach exploding but that's a bit of a stretch and you know then i started doing all this research you know about like oh the body and mind connection you know we can have like physical reactions to like emotional trauma and it set me on this kind of journey and i credit gutless and grateful you know performing that show so many times and talking about it i think that's really when i started getting comfortable you know realizing it wasn't my fault like learning about what sexual you know abuse you know can do to survivors but i think theater was really a safe container for me to kind of confront all that so yeah theater did a lot for me in many ways mm. so yeah mm-hmm.
0: And how did a uh, gutless and grateful move into my beautiful detour? Are they sep- I know they're separate entities, so it's my beautiful detour oh, yeah. both that's out, but um, yeah, can you talk about that?
1: Well, yeah, so um gutless and grateful doing the show was just again another unexpected flower I found from my detour. That was the first time um, I had really been on stage you know, sharing my story and that really, I felt, brought me out into the world where I, I could finally feel comfortable about everything that had happened. Um, I talk about in my book, like four days after that, I tried to do one surgery that was really supposed to fix some leftover, like open wounds and things like that, that turned into a big disaster and led me on a new set of detours, but because of that detour, that's how I met my husband. That was another detour when the divorce happened, but that's how how I started college again. So every, you know, triumph and setback led me to something else. And it wasn't until I gave my first TED talk that I was able to recognize all these detours as something to be grateful for. And so that's how the beautiful detour thought came into my head. And then once I shared my story in my first TED Talk, a, a bunch of people started reaching out to me saying like, oh, I've had this detour, I've had that detour. And then I'm like, oh, wow, like no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, a big medical thing or like a what we think of as small, or even like moving to a new job or something, every little change has the power to shape us. So that's when I wanted to like get people to start talking about it, because I realized sometimes even just the process of talking about it is a you know, is transformative. So that's how I started like the love my detour hashtag, just to get people saying like, hey, if you've been through a detour, you know, use that hashtag. Mm -hmm. And that really opened up a ton, you know. People started sending me their stories. I started a detour column on my website where once a week someone just writes about any detour and how it shaped them. Um, then, like, I realized there was a need that people really needed to write this out just so they can trace that path themselves. That led into like detour workshops just to get people, yeah. you know, to stop it and see like where this detour led them. So, you know, it, it was. Nice to know that one detour in my life could open up a lot of things for other people too. So, yeah.
0: And can you talk about what being a detourist is? um yeah. and, and are we all detourists, or do we have to become one? What What does that mean? We, we
1: have to choose to be. Okay. Um, so, that, so this is my thing, and you know, open your interpretation. But in my opinion, you know, we all have unexpected changes in life. But a detourist chooses you know, not to just put on a happy face and say, okay, I'm grateful for this detour, but it just takes a presence to say, you know, I'm going to trust this very spot and just go to the next spot and then the next spot. And then, you know, a detourist keeps following that path until you're able, whenever that time is, to look back and see all those flowers that, that made you who you are. Um, And it's easy to say, like, a detourist just, like, is present and like can you know just trust mm-hmm. where they are but i realized that it's not so easy so looking back on my journey i discovered i, I call them my four hardcore skills to resilience um that i write about and those are kind of the outline for my workshops oh. that using these four uh, survival mindsets those are really how a detourist is able to trust each step at a time, and so I, in my book, I talk about how I came across those strategies and that they really worked. You know, I, I gotta say, you at the time, like I had no path. I I wasn't even like eligible for therapy because I write about as soon as I was out of the hospital, my parents you took me to a therapist because you would think it would help to talk about all this, but the the therapist said to my parents, he's like, listen, she can't eat and she can't drink. It would be real torture for me to stick her in a room and make her talk about her feelings like she's hungry. And so after that, I'm like, all right, so now I'm even kicked out of therapy. What the heck do I do? So these were really things I had to discover on my own, uh, which sucked at the time, But the good part is I realized because they were things I had to discover from my own resources, I realized that like anyone can find them, you know, anyone, anywhere. And I think that's what makes this so relatable for other people. You know, they read the back of the book and are like, okay, this is going to be really extreme. But I was just a girl that had a weird things happen to her and had to use my own internal resources, which I think we all have. Sometimes we just have to be a little forced to find them. So yeah.
0: Yeah. And like you just talking about like being a girl, can you can you talk about that? What do you think it means to have been um like a female going through this as opposed to a male? Like we're we're really talking about with Weekly Woman, just like our interpretations of womanhood and gender and like the taboos that kind of go with it at the same time. Well
1: it's interesting because yeah well, if you think about when all this happened, you know, I was sexually abused at seventeen, mm-hmm. and then all of this happened like right well, all this happened right after the hospital and i I woke up into like a totally new body, like covered in like tubes and drains and bags, and then from the time from eighteen till you know age twenty one was my first bite of food only to have uh, setback and then that was taken away for a couple more years so that whole like growing up period like where you know, people might go to college or like discover who they are they you know I never really had that everything was very stalled like I had to stay in very machine mode for those kind of important years and even before that when I was sexually abused and I had to stay numb so it was interesting because I I write about in my book a lot that i don't even get to the woman part yet i you know i quote you know journal entries i have a time where i'm like i just don't feel like a person you were know, so interesting you know walking around and seeing people being able to have sips of water and i'm thinking like i don't get that so like a big part you know part of like you know healing for me was just getting to the point where i could be like oh like i deserve to just be a person and then you know once i could get that then the whole woman thing had to come so everything wow. is being delayed and you know another you know way i was just able to discover like a beautiful detour is like i talk about how after this 27th surgery that was a total disaster i just wanted to do like more creative writing and so for the first time, I set up an online dating profile, and the good part is, you know, even though that ended in a very strange divorce, you know, that's really where I was really able to, you know, I never had a real relationship in my life. I was able to figure out, oh, even with all these medical circumstances, like I am a woman and I'm capable of feelings and I'm capable of a relationship. Mm-hmm. So when that ended, like I, I still have that. Um, so it's always been interesting because I've always had to deal in this post coma life with, um, dealing with, you know, a body I didn't anticipate that still has, you know, bags and wires and things. And, you know, know, I talk about the, when I finally had to figure out like a wedding dress situation, I'm like, how do I do that? So everything's kind of been a learning process. So at this point, you know. I think again, like detourism really comes in handy with with feeling you know like this is the woman that I am and and you know this is these are my circumstances and um and and yeah, and just um especially when I'm hearing everything in the news now about you know women you know fighting for the rights that you know they should have um and um I think I've always felt that fight within me just because I've always had to fight to kind of feel like a person. Mm. So I think I, I think that's why for me, like feeling like a woman is really just feeling like who I am right now, that I'm a living, breathing person on an equal level with anyone, you know, woman, man, anyone. So, so yeah.
0: That's, Mm -hmm. that's awesome, Amy. And I'm curious too about like all of the stuff that's in the news now. I mean, we can talk about Me Too or... Mm things that are happening I'm curious because you've been telling your story for so long has has the me too has that like affected how you're able to share or has it just amplified it or it
1: hasn't affected because I've always kind of been you know there but it's interesting I think a lot about what would have happened if this was out there at the time Of of the abuse and stuff because I still haven't you know mentioned you know who this is you know my close circle you know of course but you at the time I was seventeen so it was like you know the age of consent or. Or whatever and you one I tried seeing one therapist and even asked me like well were you in love with your voice teacher and you know for many many years I just didn't talk about it because the medical stuff seemed more important you know to share you know this seemed like uh, like a side thing Um, you know it it took my own, really, I credit the discovery of like art, where I could actually do my own therapy and discover the connection without words, that I could feel empowered that like, oh, wow, like this should not have happened to me. And and this is what happened once it did. Um, so, you know, it, it would be interesting if I had also that outside media, like confirming that for me. But, but, yeah, it always felt like something I shouldn't really talk about, and I think that creativity made me feel safe doing that. Um, my concern, you know, I'm glad that the Me Too movement is helping people, uh, you know, feel more comfortable sh- uh, sharing it, but my concern is, and I talk about this when I talk about sexual assault on colleges, is that um, it took me 10 years before I felt comfortable sharing my story. But... For all those years, I needed to write about it for myself. I needed to process and understand. I felt like if I had just, like, come right out and started talking about it, you know, that would have been, you know, in the aftermath, it would have been, had a more traumatizing effect on me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm worried with this pressure now that people feel like, you know, a lot of, um, because I'm listed as a... um, sexual assault representative. I get a lot of phone calls from actually, you know, high schoolers and colleges asking if I can comment on, you know, a terrible thing that was done by a professor and things like that. And, and I always say like, um, you know, we need to be a little easier on survivors that, you know, for not reporting right away. um, Because, you know, we really do need time to process and heal like ourselves before we start talking about it. Um, so that, that is my concern that people will start sharing or testifying or whatever before they're ready to. Because mm-hmm. um, it, it is a very vulnerable process. And it needs to be, I think, for ourselves a little bit first, at least it, it needed to be for me. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, yeah. that's good to hear and good for our, our Viewers and listeners to hear too, um, yeah. and how you're able to help all these women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was curious too. Um, so if a woman were to walk up to you and you just had like a minute to give them your best piece of advice about really anything, um, what would you say? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh okay. um, Well, I mean, if it's if it's about this, um, oh my god, so much. Hi. Well, okay. This is what I would say. You don't always always have to love your detour, Um, but you do have to trust it. You know, you're not going to, you might not get the happy answer you want right away, but I think trusting our detour is really important. And that's just even in the midst of uncertainty, like I trust, if I'm right here right now, you know, moving like if I stand on the head of this needle right now it will somehow get me to where I'm supposed to be I think that's the I think that's something we all have to say
0: so yeah that's amazing Amy um and I, what's next for you and also how do we read your book please give us some plugs Buy
1: it. <laughs> yeah. where can we buy it yeah so um so first of all my book is you know available at um on Amazon, but also uh, through my website where I, I'm signing copies and also doing a little artsy surprise if you want to order through my website. It's also available on Kindle and ebook and all that, but also at all the events I'm doing. So I'm, I'm doing, you know, a few, um, you know, bookstores and, and galleries and fun stuff in Connecticut. I'm, I'm looking to come to colleges and speak uh, like I've been doing. Um, so uh, So reach out if you're interested in having me um and uh what's next so book stuff and um i'm actually working on um a new play about the story of my grandmother um, called um, More Than Ever Now, um, which just had a reading, and I'm hoping to do more than that. Um, And last thing, um, Passageways is the new one woman musical that I just premiered um, in New York uh, last month, which um, uses my original songs and artwork and, and story, and I'm hoping to take that to a few more places, so.
0: Oh, yeah, it's amazing. Just just conquering the world. I'm my first year of grad school, but um, what? It's amazing. But it's
1: fun. That's, it's fun.
0: That's great. <laughs> that's that's so much, Amy. That's awesome.
1: We like to keep it interesting around here. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's great. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to add? Yeah. Um.
1: Well, if it is so like transformative even if you don't know like how your detour like shaped who you are today to just even start writing about it and you'll be surprised um and if you want to share it every Wednesday I I post someone's story of I call it why not Wednesday where you just have to read about any little detour in your life and you know maybe how it turned you into you know some little thing it doesn't have to be a huge transformation but the stories are so different and they're they're so inspiring to read so so definitely uh, reach out because i i think it's helpful to just write about so yeah
0: oh wow that's awesome thank you so much amy thank you thank you, uh, thank you. i'm just gonna press stop record and then we can talk again